If you've been following along, you know that I'm about to temporarily join Rick's startup to help build their new app. In this episode, we talk about the compensation proposal Rick just came up with. Let's go. Welcome to Startup to Last, a podcast about building profitable software businesses that are meant to last. Hi, I'm Tyler. I run a bootstrap SaaS company called Less Annoying CRM. I'm Rick. I run a software-enabled services company called Leg Up Health. What's going on this week, Rick? Oh, man. That was <laughs> not expected. Uh, <laughs> well, um, it's... Uh, let's see. Uh, that caught me off guard, Tyler. So uh, <laughs> this is the second time we started recording because uh, it bugged out the first time. And um, the first... Yeah, I hit Rick with a really excited intro. Oh. And then we toned it down here. All right. Nobody oh. thinks this is funny. <laughs> yeah, dude. Um, I actually anyway. had someone message me like, I, I, I the, my favorite part of your podcast is when Rick yells at you at the very beginning. <laughs> anyway, that's, yeah. that's sad. That, that's like the best content we have. Yeah. Um, but uh, so, so my big update this week is I, last week you challenged me on whether or not uh, we should be serving group health insurance clients at Leg Up Health. And, uh, for those of you who may not be aware, like, like a health focuses on Utah consumers, specifically individual health insurance, and oftentimes small business, uh, owners and, uh, employers will come to us and say, Hey, we, we don't do that, but we, we, it seems like you're focused on really good service and we'd really like you just to be our agent for a group health insurance. We're like, no, we don't do that. So last week, um, you, you, you didn't directly challenge me, but you basically told this story about um, Justin Jackson and the riding the wave and the surfing the wave in the marketplace and don't try to fight the current. And um, so that made me think. And uh, JD and I decided to give it a try. And we already have a client two weeks yeah. later made, making money. That's awesome. So is this one of the people who had already reached out to you and you just you just reached out back to him or like something coincidentally came up over the last week? Uh, it was coincidental, uh, timing. We were, we were sa- in the process of saying no to him. Okay. Uh, but, but because of our conversation, we just said, wait, 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 yes, we will. Uh, Great. and so now there's a whole list of other clients we could go after, go back to. Cool. I know you've said in the past that like individual, if, if you are the agent of record on an individual health insurance plan, I mean the, the amount can, that you make can vary, but I have in my head like $40 per, per person. Is yeah, the, it for a group plan like that times the number of employees? Yeah, so it's about five hundred dollars a year for an average like client um, on the consumer side, um, which it's it's not really a per person. We don't think about it like that. It's per household. So a, okay. a house, a family, but could like be per like, employee. I mean, per employee. Yeah, yeah. So so on the consumer side, it's more per household. Um, so which could have multiple people associated with it. On the business side, it's more per employee. And okay. so this customer had I think ten employees, and will make three thousand dollars a year. Man, that's yeah. that sounds kind of like easy money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, cool. Um, and but like the big thing is, and and what we realized is our value, our core value proposition actually is the same, which is we're helping underserved, an underserved population um, get better access to health insurance and have a better experience mm-hmm. through education and just like basic customer service and a little bit of technology. Yeah, because you said last episode, there's not that much competition for these people because, I mean, I think it's the same way, like Less Annoying CRM serves businesses, but it's the type of business Salesforce does not give a fuck about. Uh, they're too small for the more profit-seeking companies to really worry about. Exactly. So, and 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 the cool thing about um, 
the small group health insurance market in Utah is that it's very similar in terms of networks and like product complexity to the individual market. So we already know what we're doing. Um, so it's just the only difference is like this whole like employer in the middle thing. Cool. So are you mostly now just like sitting around and when one of these opportunities falls in your laps, you'll take it? Or is there any talk of, uh, you know, go back to people who've already reached out to you about this, try to actually get some new leads? That's a great question. So that's JD is coming out for our annual offsite uh, next weekend. So this will be a big part of our conversation. Okay. We've got this one that was easy. We don't really know what's involved in servicing it yet. Um, so we think it's easy. Uh, mm-hmm. but we don't know. So we, yeah, I think we'll probably go after it. Um, this also relates to leg up benefits. Um, we, uh, have been primarily focused on reaching out to consumers, um, and profiling them and that's continuing to work. But, um, you know, as part of our leg up benefit strategy, as well as this, like reaching out to employers makes, heck, makes a whole lot more sense now. So I think we'll definitely need to, um, think about our employer strategy this year, uh, but I was going to wait till like a benefits got further along. But now that this is here, it's like, let's go after employers now. And then mm-hmm. we, like anyone we can't get group health insurance on as sort of a, a backlog list for like a benefits. I love how many flywheels you're creating where it's like every individual insurance customer is a potential employer lead. Every group insurance customer is a, a leg up benefits lead. Every leg up benefits customer if they have group insurance, they're now a group lead. If they don't, now everyone who works there is now an individual lead. Like it's, it's a very cool kind of like cycle of everything feeding into each other. Yes, the only thing we're missing is the, contr- the monthly controllable sort of uh, what do you call it when you know, something's leading like the 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 beachhead. Uh, mm-hmm. We don't have that like controllable front end that makes the rest of the engine work. But the, once it, once it goes. Once we have like the top, the first uh, domino, um, yeah. it, it definitely works. Yeah, it'll be really interesting. Assuming all this eventually gets really built out where, you know, you have like a benefits to offer, you have like all this stuff. It'll be interesting. I assume what you should do then is say, okay, we can get leads in for any of these three products and they feed the other ones. What's the easiest one? Like, what's the best place to start from? Do you have an intuition there about which would be best? Um, it's probably the employer side. Uh, the, the problem with consumers is they don't want to put time into this unless they're having a life event. Um, mm-hmm. so that's challenging. Um, one life event is an employer benefits change. So we can through employers create a life event by becoming sort of a catalyst at the employer. Um, so there's, there's a little bit more control of our destiny with employers, yeah. um, over and, everything else. And probably employer like group insurance versus like a benefits is probably just cause like people don't know about like a benefits, but they know they need group insurance. Yes. Does that sound right to you? Well, I, I, I think that there are, there are employers out there know that they need to be able to hire and keep their people and they are spending money on it. Uh, like, and it's, a. are they like looking for it though? Like if you mom tested this, do you think people are like, yeah, you know, I've tried to Google for something like this. Yeah. I mean, that's people's typing in health, QSERA, health reimbursement arrangement, reimburse okay. employees for health insurance, like that kind of thing. But I, I, I do think that there's like, I'm thinking more of like an outbound cold call calling perspective, less of an inbound. I think an, like if we were going to have that model work, reaching out to an employer and saying, Hey, you're spending this. We could save you this, you know, jump yeah. on a 15 minute call to see if, uh, we, if we can help you. And there's like two routes like AOR or leg up benefits, uh, pitch that's way more controllable and, and more like fundable from a revenue payback yeah. period. Yeah. Cool. A cash payback period. 
All right. I, I look forward to hearing more updates on that. Yeah. So yeah, my other only big update is JD's coming out this week and I'm excited and uh, your advice and that has been really helpful. We're kind of going back to like, Hey, maybe we should have like a, a, um, like open bar tab at a bar downtown and just mm-hmm. invite some clients. And if they show up, they show up. If not, like it's just us hanging out. Yeah. Um, but we may like, if it's easy, we're going to do it. If not, like we're just not going to do it. So. Yeah. Yeah. I think that sounds great. Do you I worry at all about good. like, or not, I shouldn't say worry, but like think about drinking culture being a Utah based company where, you know, half the people for religious reasons don't drink. Mm-mm. I mean, I drink responsibly, uh, drinking culture versus like having a beer. I think like two different things. Like I think like in St. Louis, pretty close to zero people object to the idea of drinking. Whereas in Salt Lake city, 50% of people object to the idea of drinking. I don't know if it's that aggressive. I think people like, I think most, like most of the, uh, people who don't drink in Utah for religious reasons that I've come in contact with will gladly come to a bar and hang out and have a Coke. Okay. Now would someone's I, passing would I, those fucked up laws, but yeah. All right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, but like, I mean, you know, maybe there's a better event for Utah to be, you know, to your point, like maybe it's something less, less focused on drinking, but well, or the flip side is like, and me more first. Right. Exactly. Was. It's your company. Yeah. Do whatever yeah. you want. Um, yeah. cool. Uh, so for my update, I kind of mentioned last time that, because I have this sabbatical coming up where I'm taking six weeks off work to work with you, very excited about that. I've been starting to figure out how to get stuff off my plate at LS Knowing Serum so that the company can operate more smoothly with me gone. But then also, like the side benefit is this is stuff I probably should have delegated a long time anyway. Um, it's just like going great. I actually feel like I'm in a better place with my less annoying work than I've ever been in, maybe. Like, it's awesome. That's great. Are you delegating stuff you don't want to do? Yeah. And I I should acknowledge. So I think it's a combination. I've delegated some stuff, but also, you know how things kind of ebb and flow. And like sometimes there's just a lot of crap you have to do that you don't want to do. And then other times you're like, oh, wow, I'm, you know, there's nothing on my task list. I think as I started delegating stuff, I also just randomly, coincidentally ended up with like a lull in other stuff. So those two combined, like I've got a ton of time. But yeah, I've... uh, there's just like n- nothing I've delegated is major, to be clear. It's like, I'll give you a few examples. When customers pay by check, I was the only person who could deposit them. I think we get maybe two checks a month. How long does it take to deposit two checks on your phone per month? Like five minutes. You know, it's not oh, a big it's thing. Oh, so painful. I have to do this. It's like, right. so like it, it requires focus. You don't want to mistype it. You got to confirm it. Then you're like, did it actually get deposited? It's like, there's a lot of emotional baggage associated with that. Yeah. And then like one more example, and then you can yada yada through the rest. But like uh, we have a week, a company wide weekly meeting every week. People, anyone at the company can submit topics for it. And we just kind of discuss them. Be, we found a pattern where like the most senior people would be the ones most willing to talk. And so it's just like three of us talking to each other. So every topic we assign to somebody to give the first response to, to make sure everybody over time, everybody talks in these meetings. I was the one assigning who talks to you. It's like, hey, uh, new hire, you're given the first reaction to this topic. There's no reason I needed to do that. So now someone else is, again, we're talking five minutes a week. But there were like 15 of these things probably. And when you add them up, it's like, okay, I've saved like an hour or two per week of time. Like that matters. What, what Do you feel like you're losing any impact by, that seems like high impact type stuff. 
Um, I think I'm probably a little, but so I, the advice I read about this one is, uh, just cause someone else would do it differently from you doesn't mean they would do it worse. And two, like you kind of just have to let go of some stuff. I think you have to identify like what really matters. What are the things where like you bringing your special founder perspective really matters. And I think that all the stuff that I'm delegating will be fine. And most some of stuff, it, most stuff doesn't matter. Yeah. And some of it, by the way, I, a lot of this stuff, like, why haven't I delegated any of this? Some of it, yes, it's like, well, I have a, spe- I have, like, I know more about what's going on at the company, so maybe I can do this thing better. A lot of it is, I was like, no one would want to do this. And I didn't hire, I, we don't have an admin assistant. We don't have an office manager. We don't have anyone whose job it is to just take whatever random crap I don't want to do. And so I felt bad giving it to people. But I just sent an email out to the company and I was like, here's a list of stuff. If you want to do any of this, let me know. And two people reached out to do what I considered to be the most, the thing I felt most uncomfortable delegating because it feels like kind of secretary type work. Two people reached out and were like, yeah, that sounds great. Give it to me. Um, like it's literally scheduling my meetings for me. And I'm like, all right, go for it if you want. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Um, so it's going really well. I should have done this a long time ago. Yeah. I want to call it something. I, I think like oftentimes... That is, I, I think everyone, most people, I should say everyone can do what you just did. If they have other people in their lives who are willing to help them. If you like have a spouse or a roommate or a coworker, a manager, and you list out all the things like that aren't like super impactful or important for you to work on, like, and you go, Hey, like, does anyone else want to work on these things? Like some percentage of those things will just get gobbled up by people being more interested in them mm-hmm. than you. Yeah. This is why like diversity and I, I don't mean like racial or whatever diversity, but just like having different types of people at the company is so valuable is like they're not I think I'm giving them the worst work and they're like, yeah, that's like basically what both of them said to me because I was like, are you sure you want to do this? And they were like, you know, I'm using my brain all day. I can turn my brain off and spend 10 minutes doing this. It'll be like a little break. It'll be great. It's like, OK. Um. Anyway, so but yes, good point. Um. I should have done this a while ago. What this led to, though, is both both of the last two weeks, I did exactly what I said last episode I want to do, which is Monday and Tuesday, I had no meetings. Uh, I had I basically said I'm not going to reply to any emails unless they're you know, urgent. I just had two full uninterrupted days both weeks to work on IC, like individual contributor work. Right now, that's design work for me, which is great. But I sat down and I didn't know what to work on, which a few reactions to this. Number one, I'm really disappointed in myself because it wasn't until that moment that I realized it's been like months since I've had, I've given myself space to like think big about anything. The fact that I didn't even have anything on my list to work on is like a really bad sign, I think. I agree. Uh, interesting. <clears throat> well, I'm now I'm curious like what you did with the time and what your epiphanies were. Uh, yeah, so I, I so I have a topic to discuss on that. Like, what I did, I, I mentioned last episode. Like, our designer, it was looking like she was going to leave. She instead she got a different job, but she still wants to do like ten hours a week with us. So she didn't fully leave, but we have less of a designer than we used to. So I need to do some design work. So one thing I did is I just went through and was like, "What's all the stuff we need designed?" Which was, but but that's like kind of small stuff. That's like, oh, we're going to have interns this summer, and they're going to work on some. Minor projects. I got to get those designed. Um, the bigger thing is 
So I'm trying to, yeah, I'm trying to decide. I, I haven't answered this, but I'm curious. You probably don't have enough context to answer this, but like, what do you think I should be spending my time on with this, with this kind of like two days a week? If, if given, assume all the like urgently needed designs are done. What should a CEO be doing? Growth. Employees. Well, that's cash. not the answer I wanted. I don't want to work on growth. <laughs> <laughs> growth, employee satisfaction, hiring. Yeah. Um, and cash. <laughs> okay. So I, I think that's all fair. I think cash is in a good spot. We don't need to hire anyone right now. Employee satisfaction, I totally agree with. I think I probably over invest in that generally. So I, I agree with all three of those. And I think we're good there. The, the, these two days don't need to go towards that. Growth, you're probably right, um, but fuck that. So I'm trying to think like what else. <laughs> uh, Look at benefits. Um, well, yeah, and, and I'm working on that too. So wh where I kind of landed, what I really like to do, and I used to do a lot of, is design stuff that we're never going to build. Like think five years from now, what do I want the product to look like? Or uh, a specific example right now, like... Um, Right now, our permissions, like how you share contacts within the CRM, are very, very simple, which is good for like one to five user accounts because it's you basically never have to think about any permissions at all. But it breaks down for even like a five to 10 user account potentially. We have to get this fixed. We're not going to do it anytime soon, but I've kind of been thinking like if I had an answer to this, that could inform so many other things about our design. So I started designing like this thing that we do not have the developer resources to build anyway. Uh, it's a lot of fun. I think it's really valuable, but it is like much more of a big picture, long-term type of thing, like strategy as opposed to like what we need right now. So I, I think what you're saying is like the fourth thing a CEO should focus on is long-term vision and strategy. Yeah, maybe. Well, I, it's like the, where the, the, where we're headed. Yeah. I think there's some value to that. I'm not exactly, I, I wasn't trying to make this as a statement that other people should learn from this, but like. Um, I, I really enjoyed it. Like if, if, to, to some extent, I'm like, what do I want to work on? And then it's that, but yeah, I, I do think there's a lot of value in it. And I actually think if you don't do this, cause I haven't done this for a long time, you kind of stop having opinions and you stop having vision and it actually hurts with, um, employee satisfaction the thing you were talking about. If you're like, Hey, we're going to improve our task feature period. The end people are like, like employees are like, ah, all right, cool. If you're like, 10 years from now, our product might look like this. Look at how cool it might be. Uh, we're not going to get there without better tasks. People are like, yeah, like I see where we're going with this. Um, so maybe I'm just rationalizing, but I do think there's value in this type of thing. No, I agree. I, I think I think so. Like I, I've, I think very important things happen in idle time, like thinking and, and clarity. Yeah. Um, so... And yeah, idle time. That's right. I, I haven't had any idle time recently, and I'm I'm getting I'm getting comfortable with it again, and trying to figure out how to fill it. But th that's where I'm at right now. Idle time. I wish I had idle time. <laughs> I miss <laughs> idle time. I I need idle time. I I'm going to Hawaii uh, for ten to fifteen days. I don't know how many days exactly. Oh, wow. uh, the first few weeks of March. So I hopefully get some idle time there. Is this going to be like you're still answering emails, or are you kind of fully unplugging? Mm -hmm. that's awesome yeah um i mean I'll, i can't not check email like that'd be weird right that's why like when i'm doing my sabbatical i'm like i'm i'm still working one day a week <laughs> yeah yeah i'll be on there a little bit cool back to you what's next well um 
we just, I don't know if, what's going on, but we're getting like every 30 minutes, we started getting a Webflow form submitted on our website, um, just complete spam. So trying to combat that because it's pretty, it's pretty disruptive. Yeah. These um, are like signups for the product or like contact forms? No, these are contact forms uh, on our marketing website. Um, and so implemented, re, re, is it called reCAPTCHA? Is that how you say it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, which was actually very easy to do um, site-wide. And so I you did that this morning, see, going to see if that has an impact, but I didn't know if you had any advice on how to fight the, the <laughs> spam battle. Um, but like it was getting really annoying. Yeah. We also, we use that selectively. My, there's different versions of recapture. Like what's the UI, what does the user see for the version you're using? Click a button that says I'm not a robot. Okay. The problem with that is like, if they're not using Chrome or they're not logged into Google, they see like a much worse, they get a much worse experience. It's one of these, like, which of these tiles has a stop sign and they get through multiple mm-hmm. of the, you know what I'm talking about? It's not a big deal, but what we decide is like, we don't want to do that unless we have some reason to think they're spam. So normally what we allow is one submission without the captcha and then every subsequent submission, they have to fill out the captcha. And you have that built in the Webflow? Uh, no, we, this is, this is hard coded. So yeah, okay. I guess you, I don't know how you do that in Webflow. Everything we do, every everything I we do above and beyond what you've done, you couldn't do with Webflow. Okay. I don't think, because um, we also have like, you know, if the word Viagra is in there, oh, that's brilliant. cut it out. Like uh, we've just got some basic pattern matching of our own, but yeah, I, recapture seems to work well enough. Although we have had spammers that not all spam is bots. Like sometimes it's a person sitting in a country where you can afford people for a small amount of money and that's like an actual person filling out the form and recapture doesn't stop them yeah 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 well it's slowed down today so it look it does look like it's having an impact that's good did it stop or just slow down uh there's one in there but it looks like a manual a manual submission like you were saying okay yeah yeah i bet that that gets most of it so cool oh. we also we also block like ip addresses that's another way to do it <laughs> yeah like yeah. when it's a when it's a person, it's the same person doing it over and over, as opposed to like there's there's no net like network of ten thousand unique different people who are all doing it from different computers, you know. Yeah, and, I'm glad that's over with. Well, that was yeah, really annoying because my phone was just going, boop 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 <laughs> boop. Um, what else is on your mind? Uh, we are. I told you a while back we re- renewed our lease on our office, right? You did. We didn't talk um, about like, what are you going to do? Yeah. So it's a five-year lease. Um, and I think I've mentioned this before, but like when you sign a lease like this, they give you some kind of allowance for, you know, construction, build out stuff. We're staying in the same space. So it's already mostly built out, but we're making some changes. Um, that's already been set in stone. So um, nobody else listening to this will know, but Rick, you've been to my office before. There's basically like a big block of private offices a big open office area, and then like a big kind of kitchen lunchroom area. We're knocking down the wall between the second two. So like just one big open space uh, and then the private offices. So that's the main thing. And they've done it. They, they knocked the wall down. They're still building other stuff, but it's uh like just completely transformed how the office works. And now I have to figure out like how to lay the furniture out and all that stuff. Um, Are I don't you going to be how- investing in new furniture or is this more of like a rearranging what you got? It's rear. We'll buy some new stuff. We don't need to get rid of anything. Everything we have will still serve the same purpose, but 
we the thing is before because we had this this big space split into two smaller spaces one of them was just completely unused that's why we took the wall down um so now we probably just will get like some couches and bookshelves and stuff like that but nothing too major but i wanted to just mention this in case anyone listening ever like opens an office or something like this i'm a very like i'm the type of person who my my instinct is like I don't know, set up some desks and and worry about other stuff. This can't possibly be what matters uh, for the CEO to be thinking about. Something I've learned through experience is like very, very subtle changes to how the office is set up have just a tremendous impact on how people use the space. And like that trickles down to who's friends with each other, like just culture in general really comes from how the office is laid out, I think. Did you experience that at PeopleKeep? Oh, yeah. Um, we we made some shifts a couple of times. Uh and it, yeah, just the the way people talk, like there's a whole like there's a whole industry around the psychology and behavioral sort of uh, I don't know what the right term is, but like watching how people interact and relationships form based mm-hmm. on geography, you know, and then you take that into an office. Um, it's fascinating. Yeah. Like just an example, I get to my point earlier that I'm like normally a little too practical about this. I'm a person who does not really care about vibes. Like, if you walked around my house, there's no artwork hanging anywhere. I see, Rick, you've got two pieces of artwork I can see right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got two pieces of furniture at the office. One is a bar height, like stool height table with seating for eight people. And another is a normal table, like normal chair height with seating for eight people. There's really no difference between them. Just one's bar height and one's chair height. And... uh just like everybody uses the bar height one. And we didn't used to have that. We got that later. We used to just have the seated one. No one used the open office at all. And it's like, there's no fucking reason for this. It's just vibes. It's just, you're like, yeah, it seems more like a coffee shop or something. I don't know what it is. (laughs) But I learned that lesson by not caring enough about this the last time we did this. And this time I'm like, I am thinking through every inch of this office because it matters so much. Have you thought about hiring someone who specializes in this? I have. It has occurred to me. I don't think anyone specializes enough in our space. Like there's so much that it, it depends on what your culture is and understanding how the current space is being used. And I think it would take so much time to download all the context to them. Now, I guess getting ideas from them could be useful. You, you might like just schedule a few people to come by the office and give like give them their, like, you know, what are your quick recommendations? And then you could hire someone to do more specific yeah. stuff if they're really awesome. But um, I, I, I have uh, I do not have the design I like you do. But when I moved into my first kind of place by myself as a like professional adult, I hired a. <laughs> a what do you call it? I don't forget what they're called. Like design inter- in- interior decorator, interior design, decorator person. Designer, yeah. And they, they handled everything. And it was like, wow, this place is awesome. <laughs> okay. That's why that apartment was so well put together. Yeah. All right. <laughs> that makes more sense. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They, they picked all the furniture out. They just, I had to give them a budget. Um, and then they'd run like choices by me and it was really hmm. nice. Interesting. But you probably like this kind of design thing. I, I, did I not actually want to really enjoy it. And, and to be clear, it has nothing to do with like buying furniture or anything. It's like we we basically have all the furniture, but it's like, you know, you want it. So what I've found is everybody wants to feel like they're near the other people. So like, so, sorry to belabor this, but like another quick anecdote. We used to have everyone's main desk in the open office. 
after the pandemic, we decided to flip it and everyone's main desk is in the private offices. Somewhat counterintuitively, more people work in the open office now than used to. Mm-hmm. So before their main desk was in the open office and you had to like, if you went into a private office, it was just kind of like share. They were all shared. So it's like grab whatever's open and go sit in there. More people worked from private offices in that setup than now, which just I, I, I now understand why it's true, but I would not in a million years have guessed that. Um, it's true because when you have an assigned seat, you can't move to be where other people are. And so everyone was spread, like if five people were out there, they were all spread out across this huge space. And it was almost like you were by yourself in there. Now it's like everyone crowds around this tiny little standing height desk and everyone. So anyway, like part of this, it's less like making it look nice. And it's more like, how do we make sure that no matter where you are, you feel like you're a part of the same pod as everybody else who's there? Yeah, I love it. Um, And then you can observe if you can build in some flexibility where you can observe and then iterate. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, that's that would be fun too, for sure. So anyway, I, I really like it. It probably doesn't make for good radio because it's very visual and stuff. But mm-hmm. uh, I'm well, should, fun uh, with it. you should tweet some uh, photos mm. when it's done. Yeah, I should. That'd be fun. Uh, yeah. One more thing, and then I'll hand it back to you. So I've I've been doing a lot of design work, like I just said, working in Figma. You haven't really worked when like. Whether it's Figma or Photoshop or Fireworks, you really haven't done much design at all, right? I mean, outside of like a paint, uh, so yeah. you, like when I need to <laughs> edit a photo, I use paint. Nice. Yeah. Um, so we, uh, you know about the concept of technical debt. This comes mm-hmm. up a lot, oh, yeah. right? I'm sure most listeners know this, but in case you don't, like the idea that when you write code, if you cut corners, if you, you know, maybe solve for a specific case, but don't handle other cases or whatever, eventually over time, your code kind of starts getting crufty and you have to go back and and improve it, or it starts causing problems if you don't maintain it, basically. Like if you don't pay your debt, you, you know, have problems. Um, I didn't realize until this week, design debt is a thing. Uh, the, the design really? tools. Yeah. Well, what do you think I mean by that? Well, I, I mean, the only way I could think about it is like, similar to like CSS files where like you could get like out of whack with like code that is unused and unnecessary and uh, misconfigured, like misusing the layers and like the filters and all the settings within a, a, a design file. Yeah. Um, that I think that's like abstractly correct. Like back in the day, everyone would do this in Photoshop or something like it. And I don't think Photoshop really had many tools for teams to like, create design systems and create components that could be reused. There's a lot of copying and pasting and just like positioning stuff so that it would look right. Um, I'm sure big companies still had some systems behind this, but with Figma, even though it's entirely visual, it's almost like a no-code tool because there's two ways to use Figma. One is like, you've got a canvas, you just drag stuff wherever you want it to be on the canvas and you kind of eyeball it. That's how I used to do it until somewhat recently. There's a feature in Figma called auto layout, which basically is the idea like, I've got a box, And then I want this text to be inside the box and I want 10 pixels of padding on the top and bottom and five pixels on the left and right and make the box like hug the contents of the text. And so if I type more text, the box gets bigger, that type of thing. Can you kind of visualize what I'm talking about? And then you can do auto layout within auto layout within auto layout. You're effectively building the HTML code of a website, kind of like you might do in Webflow. So you can say like, you know, make use this icon, make it this color, repeat it 10 times, like have these components that are getting reused, but 
it's it's all like it understands the logic where everything resizes based on the content inside of it. Um, as a result, you're almost coding. What this means is I went in and like I was working on this file that we made like a year ago, me and Tori, the designer. And I was just like, oh man, this component was set up wrong and the auto layout's not right. And I just, I, I spent like hours cleaning up something unrelated to what I was designing because it was such a mess. I couldn't make my design in auto layout. Mm. Um, anyway, so now I'm like, there's uh, like a valuable use of time in design is just going through all your components and cleaning them up and making them reusable. Uh, yeah. Design debt is a thing. And is this like a legacy thing that tools are getting better at preventing? Um, or is this something that I actually think it's the opposite. Um, mm. Figma keeps adding more powerful features without, it's kind of like, you know how we've talked about how um, no code doesn't really have version control or good testing features right now? Yes. I, um, so you can do lots of functionality, but like coding has all this tooling around keeping it, like doing it the right way. Uh, no code doesn't. Similarly, Figma doesn't. Like there's all this stuff you can't do in Figma. And so it's like really be, a house of cards. So self disciplined. Yeah. Um, it's, it's extreme. It's extremely frustrating because it's like 90% of the way towards writing code or thinking like a coder, but there's all this abstraction you can't do where you're like, well, I guess I just have to copy and paste this 50 times. Okay. And then if I want to change one of them, I have to change it 50 times, you know, that type Yikes. of thing. Anyway. Um, I just, I just thought that was interesting. I don't have anything else to say about that. You go. <laughs> Get diff talk about this like last one you got here. Uh, yeah, this is about Lego Benefits, the the project I'm doing with you, which we're going to talk okay. more about in a second. But um, so for anyone who hasn't been listening, I am taking a six week sabbatical to work on a coding project for Rick. Uh, that's not Lego or not less annoying CRM related. I could build it in the technology I already know, but a I wouldn't learn anything, and b Rick would have a hard time hiring someone to come in and take it over later because it's it would be very like specialized to what I how I like to code. So I'm trying to learn more general like commonly used technologies like Laravel and uh, you know Tailwind and stuff like that. So I've been I'm not putting any pressure on myself to get much work done until the sabbatical starts because the reality like I've got six weeks like that's going to be great. But I am trying to like basically I'm trying to see like am I once the sabbatical's over I know I'm not going to be done. So like. What will it be like? I'm trying to just dip my toe in the water. Like, am I going to be able to be productive? I think the answer is yes, but the answer right now is, is no. And the reason is like, because I'm learning stuff, I'm not doing stuff, two problems. One, so I spent like a few hours last weekend trying to get into this. Um, if I had known what I was doing, I would have gotten into flow state and I would have spent eight hours on it. But instead, I was just like, it was, I was like dragging myself through this tutorial and like, the moment I thought I had done enough to be able to quit without feeling guilty, I quit. <laughs> I was like, I'm done for the day. I think once I get the hang of this stuff, that will change. Uh, the other thing is like when you're just learning something, out of the two hours I spent on Saturday, I bet I spent an hour of it trying to remember all the shit from the last time. Um, I, I really made almost no progress despite spending two hours on it because I was just like, how do I start my virtual machine again? Like, what's Docker? Um, People listening are going to be like, I'm an idiot. But yeah, like <laughs> it's just so hard to learn a new thing. And it's, we, I think people who are experienced take for granted, like once you know it, 
A, you don't have those startup costs, and B, you can get in, in flow state so much easier. So I'm looking forward to getting there, but I'm not there yet. You'll get there. Yeah. Ugh, I getting older sucks though. Like, remember how easy it was to learn stuff when you were younger? Well, I mean, if you were just doing this as your main thing, like it, you would not be complaining about this. You'd make a lot more progress and yeah. the the side practice are hard in right. general, yeah. no matter I, how old you are. That's a very good point. Like spending two hours on this during a work day would be no problem at all. It's that I was like, this is a weekend. Like I'm I'm not enjoying this. Yeah, you know? like this is my pleasure <laughs> time. Like I don't want this. Yeah. No, I, I totally get it. That's one of the reasons like my newsletter uh, is is doable is that I thoroughly enjoy the work and I've created a system around just doing the thing that I like, which yeah. is which is like reading and like taking notes. Like, yeah, that's so, important. Um, yeah. Like, but, but if you do that as you get older, the things you like, you stop learning. Yes. And then you're just stuck. And that's why not everyone, but so many older people are so antiquated and how they do things because like it was too easy for too long i think yep so anyway back to you i've got a um before we jump into the leg up benefits thing i've got a couple of just like little things um i don't know about you but i i've i've been like using youtube more and more over the last six months um i can't really figure out why um but i'm i'm using it more primarily for sports news um and then you know more you know to, to like I j- just mostly sports news, I, like mm-hmm. ESPN. It's better experience on YouTube to watch ESPN videos than going to ESPN.com. And then um, I, I, I been dismissing like YouTube premium for. Oh yeah, I dismissed that like, so much. <laughs> six months. But then I realized like how much I'm spending skipping ads time wise, like and annoying because oh. I just want to watch like a two minute video or like a. And so and so I signed up for the three month trial. And since I haven't been like been required to skip ads, I'm like I can't go back. Like, yeah, the amount of energy and time I spent like skipping ads and losing context and focus on what I was doing is like it's totally worth the premium YouTube. Agreed. And I sorry this the thing I skip is the YouTube TV. I, I confuse the two. I am yeah. also a YouTube premium member, even though I rarely watch YouTube. But I'll spend almost anything to avoid watching an ad. Oh my gosh. Uh, People I are no sitting idea. there watching, watching ads on Hulu. I just can't like pay the $3 oh. and don't see the ads. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> the, yeah. Especially when you're like trying to do something like fast. Um, anyway, uh, and, and like multi, like small things, like it just adds up so quick. Uh, and do you have a like, family? Uh, yeah, I'm doing the family yeah, one. That's so, the key. You pay $15 and you get four users. Yeah. I'm adding like my work account, my, like I have all my YouTube because I access YouTube through so many different mm-hmm. Chrome setting uh browsers uh so i pay for it for me shelly my mom and my dad and we all use youtube music instead of spotify so it's 15 dollars a month to get no ads on youtube and streaming I, i'm music. too i'm too stuck on spotify i hate spotify what i hate youtube music too but i spotify is great I, I love spotify um so i totally disagree with you on that um <laughs> is cora dead cora.com is it dead kind of seems like it I mean, it's been dead for a long time, I feel like. What, do you what ever do you... use it for anything? No, I used it in the very early days. It has the, what's the phrase, uh, like eternal September or whatever? Do you know that phrase? Mm-hmm. It's There was some message board at a university uh, in the early internet, like before Facebook and stuff like that. And every fall, so like every September, the new class of students would come and they didn't know the etiquette and stuff and everything got worse until they learned it. 
Um, and then it would get better again. But eternal September is this phrase that like online communities are really cool and they're small and everyone knows the rules. And as eventually as if it grows too much and it gets bigger, you're just forever in September where there are so many new people all the time that they ruin all the culture and it, it dies. And I feel like Quora hit that like 10 years ago for me. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. That's yeah, true. Yeah. There's like, it's like not very valuable anymore. It's so much noise. But the thing is, why do you want to use it? You want to use it for marketing, I bet. Yeah, I do. Like, um, which, like I, I'm, too, I'm too late. Yeah. But like, also, I'm not blaming you, but like, you're the reason it died. As I, am I. Do you think so? Because I, I think I, I like I would use it for marketing, but I would probably do it in a way that was not super annoying. I think that's true. A hundred percent. But also like a community of people that are just marketing to each other is not a community. You need actual users. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah anyway. <laughs> but yeah, I agree. Quora I mean, is- what Wikipedia got right is, you know, they've controlled like they figured something out to keep con- like it just focused on content versus yeah. promotion. Being a nonprofit certainly helps, but that's true. Um, the so yeah, I, it's dead. Um, and then the last thing that, that was sort of like my rant or shout out is like Notion AI. Um, have you been like asked to opt in? I have opted into the beta, and I, I, nothing has. Cha- I don't even know how to activate it. I need to look into that. Well, the the main thing that like there there was like was you know, spell checking and like AI. And I was like, Grammarly is so much better than Notion for that because Grammarly's cross browser and cross device. Um, and you can set your, customize your Grammarly settings. And so I just wanted to call out like, I don't know how much value is in Notion AI, maybe for like, like prompts for new content could be useful. But so like you for, signed up for it, like uh grammar correction was what you wanted. No, it. I, I, I didn't see what, what was, what would help me with it. Oh. Like, so I didn't sign up for it. Because the pitch um, I've seen, oh, sorry, good. I thought it was mostly like a Grammarly competitor, and so I don't really understand what it is. The pitch I've seen is it can do things like um, if you take, like if you have a meeting transcription, it'll summarize the meeting for you, like kind oh, of note related stuff. Um, I again, I haven't actually. I think it must be broken. Like I have it turned on on my account, and I cannot figure out how to use it. So I need to look into that. The other thing that's concerning is like I have a lot of like really valuable content in notion, my personal notion account. And like, if they started using that to inform, right. Like a, a model, like I would, I would have a problem with that. I'm extremely, I think chat GPT is this way too, where I think if you ask, if you send any information to chat GPT, like it's public domain, I think it's public. Yeah. yeah. It's not even like just open AI has access to it. I think like anyone has access to it. Uh, and I want to use it for stuff, but I'm I'm nervous. There are some questions where that doesn't matter, but there are some where it's like I'm not pasting my company's code into this. You know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I, if you find a use case for Notion AI, I'd be interested in hearing about it. Primarily because like I do want to start fiddling um, mm-hmm. with AI this year, but like, or uh, I should say like um, generative AI specifically. Yeah. Um, but I have not found like an easy way to do that in use case. Uh, okay. So. I know some other people at Less Annoying have been dabbling with it more than I have. So if they come up with anything, I'll, I'll share it. Cool. All right. You well, want to move on to the big topic? Yeah. So, um, I, I've spent a, a, a good amount of time, uh, so far this year. So context, uh, Tyler mentioned he's going to, um, be, he's interested in helping out like benefits and we're pretty much aligned on like, that's going to happen. Um, but we want to get, we're, we're going through this sort of trial period right now where, um, the, 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 the first milestone is building sort of a 
generic app on the stack that uh, Tyler mentioned earlier in the episode. And, and, uh, but while we're, we're working towards that milestone, we want to get aligned on like how comp would work when we're building towards like a more meaningful milestone for the business. Um, and so I've spent a lot of time thinking through the structure of, um, how to compensate Tyler in a way that like maintains a startup to last model, given that Tyler does not want to be a employee of leg up health, um, which is challenging because, uh, you you know, uh, if you part of the, like what you want to preserve as a startup to last entity is equity, uh, staying operating in the business. Um, and so, it required a lot of thinking and, um, I, you know, we, we kind of talked to each other about what we both wanted out of the, out of the, uh, um, so, so kind of like that, the timeline was Tyler and I, Tyler expressed interest. Um, I go, well, I'm interested too, but like, let's talk about this a little bit more, see what we both want of it, see if it's feasible. We did that. We found out it was feasible. And then I used that sort of take the, the what, what we both wanted out of it to sort of constrain a, a, a structure. And I, uh, had already built a compensation, um, a strategy for um, for leg up that sort of for partners who join the company that are like special employees, like a compensation plan that like gives them a significant portion of like this notional equity concept that is uh, eligible for profit sharing that, um, you know, reverse vests if they leave over the a period of time. So it gets recaptured by the company. Um, and then, uh, you know, and then Tyler says, I want to help, but then that, like, that doesn't work for Tyler it broke the model. Right. Cause you're not an employee. Um, and like you contributing part time. It, it broke because if your model, as soon as a person stops working, they start losing their, their stake in it. But the whole point is that I would work, I would put in the upfront work and I want to see the benefit on the back end. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, um, so, so that doesn't work. And then like the, the other models out there are more around like monetary investment. So like probably the best model for like the concept of what we want to do together is a sort of dollar investment strategy, which if you go look at earn it, uh, not earnest capital, but, uh, calm fund, calm fund is what they're yeah. called now. Um, they have like a, sh- uh, what's called a seal or a shared earnings agreement. And uh, that structure is actually really useful. It's, I, it's overly complicated for what we needed, um, but like the structure is is pretty useful to think through this. Um, so I spent a lot of time sort of taking the seal, taking our current compensation plan, marrying the two for what I wanted to accomplish and what you wanted to accomplish. And I built this basically non-employee uh, shared earnings agreement model. Um, and so I have not spent a ton of time thinking through the inputs, but I've built the structure so, so that we could have conversations, you and me, about like, what's the value of what you're doing? Um, and, and converting that to a dollar amount, figuring out some like levers of like how that could be, like how much should you get paid back on that from a profit sharing perspective at what right. rate and when? And then, um, you know, also like a, an ongoing sort of residual equity piece for as long as you stay in the business that, you know, that, that, that sort of thing. And I put, you know, some, some, some placeholders in for those things and, you know, anticipate us having a more depth conversation around like, okay, what, what is actually motivating? What does actually make sense here based on the work? And the way that I've structured it too, is that like, we can kind of think about this in sort of phase one, like 2024, like what are the milestones we want to hit? We can assign value to it, uh, figure out how to like handle the vesting of this thing, whatever it is, or the earning of the shared earnings. Um, Mm -hmm. And then, uh, sort of, it, you know, if this sort of isn't enough, we can, and you're like, Hey, I need more. 
six months from now, you're like, we just do it again and we re-up it right, um, right. And, and add to it. So it's very flexible. That was a lot. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, if that so was, let me yeah. let me prompt prompt some things here. So to, to me, I, I first of all, Rick sent this to me this morning. We've we have not talked about this, so people, this could end up being a terrible conversation. But people are going to hear our actual real conversation here, uh, or at least twenty minutes of it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I I think there's two concepts people need to understand to to make sense of what the conversation is going to be. One is, can we just get a very quick... Okay, sorry. I'll give the first one, and then I'm going to ask you to give the second one. First one is, I just want to reiterate what Rick said, that um, we're we're saying... We're putting a dollar value on the, the work I'm doing. And like, if you were just paying me money, you'd just give me that dollar amount, and we'd be done. That'd be it. But instead, we're saying, no, that's not going to get paid. Instead, it's as if I'm investing that dollar amount into the business. And so I'm being treated just like an investor instead of like an employee. You, you said that, but I just want to recap. That's a super important point. So the big thing is what, what would you pay me as an employee to do it? That's one part. And then the second part is if I invest in your business as the, like through a shared earnings agreement with that amount of money, how does that work? Can you give like a 60 second explanation of how a shared earnings agreement works. Yeah, this is the leg up shared earnings agreement, and I have uh, modified it uh, substantially compared to like Calm Funds version of this. But like basically, the, there are a couple of key points. The first is um, the investment amount or the dollar equivalent uh, in, in this case. The second is the um, shared earnings rate. Um, uh, which is like the percentage of uh, shared earnings you're eligible for um, once shared earnings are earned. So that, uh, and that's that's mostly based on what you pay yourself. Like when you pay yourself, that when founders pay themselves, that's part of the shared earnings. And as like a kind of quote unquote investor in this, I get some percentage of that. Yes, and then there is a threshold um, of uh, like what the part like we, I call it partners, not founders, but like. The, the, it's like the employee partner uh, salary threshold, which is like a minimum sort of portion uh, per partner um, of of the shared earnings that need to be paid first before uh, you know the the non employee partners would get paid on shared earnings. So let me just say the numbers that you've plugged in here just to, mm-hmm. to make this. So you plugged in $50,000 is the amount of the investment. So it's as if you would have paid me that in cash if I were just like a freelancer or whatever. Um, 5% is the shared earnings rate, meaning when money's getting paid to shareholders, I get 5% of that money. That's how I interpret that. Okay. Yep. And the uh, the threshold is $150,000. So y- you can pay yourself... $149,000 or $150,000 and pay me nothing. But as soon as you pay me $151,000, that extra $1,000 is above the threshold. I get 5% of that. It's actually a slightly different than that. If uh, you, so so the whether or not I pay myself $150,000 a year, um, there is a term called uh, uh, partner earnings, which is like calculated as like basically um, what is paid, to founders as, uh, uh, as like what is available after revenue and expenses. So it's like basically retained earnings. And so, uh, okay. so if you uh, keep it in the business, that still counts as, yes, um, yes, earnings here. Okay. Yes. So and like there's whether or not I pay myself a dollar more, you would still be entitled to a percentage of the retained earnings that are going back into the business okay. above and beyond the threshold. So there's you and JD are both partners. So basically like 
if there's more than $300,000 of basically profit, I don't, from an accounting standpoint, maybe profit's not quite the right term, but something like that, I get 5% of that. The term, yeah, the term we're using is partner earnings, which is like a non-accounting term, but takes into account uh, basically dividends, partner salaries, and uh, um, retained earnings. Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, and then I think the only remaining concept here and it's good we're talking about this because like I know this concept, but like I got that one thing wrong. So it's good we're having this conversation. Uh is after so there's the yeah, the multiple. Talk about that. Yeah. So then so there's there's two components to uh the shared earnings agreement in terms of what what happens, what you get for that fifty thousand dollar uh, inve- uh value investment. One is a um, multiple of shared earnings, and I don't know if three or twenty is the right number. We can talk about that, you and me. Mm-hmm. Um, but like you know, basically once you start earning that 5%, it caps out at the multiple. So right now I have plugged in here as a shared earnings cap multiple of three. That was just what calm fund had in their template. I haven't like, you could, we could change it to 10 right now and see what happens. Um, the way the model's built. Um, but you know, if it was a a shared earnings cap multiple of 10, your $50,000 investment would be eligible for profit share for shared earnings up until you get paid back 500 K and then the shared earnings would stop. Yeah. So that's the first component. And then the second component is a residual equity for um, of, of a number of shares. Um, so, uh, and this is designed more for like if the business were were sold, um, you know, you would be entitled for a percentage of the business long term. Um, and I I put I just threw one thousand one thousand residual shares of the current one hundred thousand uh, shares, and these are notional shares, so there is like no real equity going around here. Um, just to be clear, it's like, so there's no corporate governance requirements associated with this. This is sort of like a a notional pot of shares that in the event that the, uh, there was a change of control um, or a formal investment of equity into the business, then um, that provides sort of like a, a ratio uh, percentage equity that would convert uh, to, um, to uh, real money. So question on that Um, with the calm fund seal, it's real equity, right? No. Or is it is notional equity for them too? So if it if there's not a transfer of ownership and uh like like dividends are not include like like if 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 Calm owns one percent of a company but it's notional shares and that company's paying out like big dividends to shareholders, Calm doesn't get anything from that. I don't believe so. Interesting. I need to I'll double confirm that, but that, the way I read it was this 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 like residual piece is really about um exit value uh of, of the business um not about like ongoing uh any sort of distribution okay it um, would now so there is a scenario where let's say that uh the founder raised a series a it would convert to real equity in the in the event of a series a right and then there would be eligibility like eligibility for dividends that feels a little weird to me because like in the in the spirit of aligning incentives i'm now like please go raise some money so that my, so that I can start getting dividends. Right. <laughs> yeah. It's weird, but di- um, yeah. Um, so, so, uh, so, so right now, like that 1% notional equity is not eligible for any sort of like the way it's structured cur- currently ongoing shared earnings, but we could like structure this. If that's a, a, a you know, you're identifying like a potential um, miss alignment. Um, we could structure it so that that residual notional equity pays a ongoing profit sharing. Um, after the shared earnings are, are yeah, I know that's how uh, not call uh, tiny seed 
I think what Tiny Seed does is they're basically like, there's a threshold, like founders can get paid X dollars and everything above that. It's like we're equity holders on that amount. Mm -hmm. um, but I, so to summarize how I understand this, basically, I'm an investor. I invest, I'm going to use the numbers we have here, $50,000. There's a, let's say it's a three-year um, multiple. So I, maybe things don't go well and I never get anything. If things go well, I'm capped at 150. So I expect a 3x return on my my investment, basically, plus this kind of lingering 1% that, in the case of Calm, only matters for an exit. It's like, if you exit, I get a piece of it. Potentially, it could be adjusted to be like, there's... Because, you know, if if you are, in fact, a startup to last business, I'm not expecting an exit. So that's worthless to me. But... And the, the only other caveat I would say is like if if like the sh if if there's an exit before the shared earnings cap is paid back, um, that is calculated in against the exit value. So that would be due to you at exit, um, mm. as sort of a liability. Okay, I think it's a cool model. Like I, I think this is probably maybe our exact scenario here is somewhat unique, but I think a lot of people deal with this thing uh, where it's like startups are trading future upside for current money. And how do you do that? And what this, this is an elegant way of saying we're taking the money, like, like we're, we're defining the money in terms of present day value dollar amount. And then we're basically adjusting for the risk. So like, if there's a lot of risk, you might want to bump up the shared earnings rate or the payback multiple or something like that. If there's less risk, you could bump it down. But it's it's a framework for saying like those numbers get tweaked based on risk, and then this kind of gives a clear way for the investor to get their money back. Yes, and it also uh, the the thing I love about it is it preserves um, uh, it avoids the the all the complexity of running a business that comes with like like real equity. Yeah, um, and I that's like what I I, I have so much respect for is it, is this a guy named Tyler. Yeah, Tyler Chung. Like, I have hundred, uh, tons of respect for him thinking through this. Um, like I could not have done this with like I would not. Have, it would take me so long to come up with this mm -hmm. without the with platform that he had built. He built out. He's, they're so transparent with everything they do. Yeah, and this is you know a lot of founders do this thing where they're like, well, I'm just going to raise a little bit of money without really, you know it's going to be a small amount of equity. But having even a single equity holder changes everything. Like you have to send out updates to them, and potentially you have to have like a board of directors and you know, you have to manage a cap table. And um, I know at Lessening Serum, I've been really appreciative of, even though I have uh, teammates who have a kind of percentage share of the upside because it's not real equity, I'm, I'm just so glad we did it that way. So I'm very much on board with not asking for equity from you similarly. Yeah. Well, let, let, let's um, transition this uh, to... Uh, all right. Apologies for whatever just happened. Our, our uh, recording software died and Rick was in the middle of talking. So what, what were you saying, Rick? I, I was just saying that it would be like I, the one thing I think that's important to cover is like all like all this is based on future value. And so like part of like when you have a conversation with a potential uh, investor or employee or in this case, non-employee partner, um, uh, you have to be able to sell the vision of like why this is a good investment of time or money. And so there is a model here of like, Tyler, like if we do this, like I pretty conservatively, like what I've done before in the past, at other companies, which is, and JD has too, who's our other partner. 
um, and we get to $3 million in 10 years, here's what this means for you at, uh, in these scenarios. And, and so I've actually walked through, like he can see that he'll get, you know, it'll take, a I actually up the, the multiple to 10x. So it's a 50K investment now with a 10x er, uh, multiple cap. So um, 500K at a 5% earnings rate. And he gets his, um, he gets 813K of the, uh, let's see, he gets his full $500,000 back or he gets $200,000 back in the first 10 years um, for his $50,000 time investment. But let's say that we sold the business in year 10 he would have an unpaid return of shared earnings uh, available of 300K. And then um, if we sold at a, a, a 5X multiple of 3 million ARR, um, which is $15 million, he would get another half a million dollars. So total $1 million return for his $50,000 time investment this year. Um, the way that like that input worked. So I just, it, there, you know, it's not just putting the inputs together. It's also uh, sort of walking the person that you're trying to get money from time from, you know, mm-hmm. you know, you help from into like why this will work. And I, you know, we, we, I have to cut, you know, in order for this 50, that like th- these inputs to mean anything, they have to turn into real money on the other side at some point. Yeah. And you have to believe that they will. Right. Um, and you know, anytime you're talking with any startup, it's like, the reason there is a return is because of the possibility of nothing. Now, a big thing that Calm Company is all about, if you read their thesis, is they're like, we are, we're not taking normal venture capital risk. You would be stupid to make this deal with just whatever random Joe Schmo startup out there because the, the failure rate is so high, a 3x multiple is not enough to get paid back. Or, or even if you put in 10x or 100, like the, the idea is the winners need to pay a huge, huge amount if you're doing normal venture investing. This is a model for a company that you view as being safer and more likely to get a base hit with. Yes. Yes. Um, so yeah, like part of like for next steps of this conversation, Tyler, like what I'd be interested in is like, what do you think? Like the way I'm thinking about this is like, take it at like kind of one year chunks. Um, mm-hmm. So like this is this year's chunk, um, kind of February to February. Um, and like, what do you think, you know, your contribution is worth this year? What are the milestones? Like what's it earned? That kind of thing. Yeah. And then like, what's the risk? multiple that like you think it's worth. Um, and then like, we'll agree on it. Um, and then, uh, if there's any like structural like changes we need to make before we like finalize the inputs and like the variables, then we should make those structural changes. Um, like I think the point you make about like the, the tiny, um, piece is interesting. Like why even have a multiple cap in the first place is very good question. Um, while while I get having a multiple cap, if it's, 5% 5% is the way I, cause I'd never looked into the details the way I knew about the the seal, but not the details the way you do. I viewed the multiple cap as like, you go from five to one, like the, the company is basically the way Tyler Tringas talks about it. He makes it sound like the company is buying back equity. And then I get this residual amount. Um, I didn't interpret it as, but that residual amount is only for an exit. Yeah. Yeah, um, that's how I interpreted it, um, based on how the model works. But like, we should look at it together and and uh, confirm yeah. that. Well, and we can do whatever um, we but, want, and we can do whatever too. the hell we want, yeah. right? Like, <laughs> um, the, the yeah. So like the main thing, um, but yeah, like so I think that's the next step is you and I like kind of go back and forth on like these uh, these numbers and get to a place where you're like happy. Um, this structure is like generally like gives me a lot of peace of mind in terms of like like ultimately if we can agree like reasonably that you're happy like for the risk and yeah, then I'm just like pretty happy with like whatever you want. To be honest, cool. like Tyler gets whatever he wants. Everyone, um, he's that yeah. good. The investment uh, is uh, five million dollars. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, yeah, I, I think the numbers you plugged in are pretty close. I'm gonna like. Um, I was hoping to have time to do this on the podcast, but I got to run pretty soon yeah, here. Go so, ahead. um, 
I was, yeah, I, I think my only pushback, it, I, I would definitely love that 1% to have a, or I'd love a way to not just like max out and be like, well, I don't care about this company anymore because um, I'm never going to be pushing for an exit. You may exit, but like that doesn't excite me. I want like long-term, uh, that's one way in which I would love to be more aligned. Um, and then I think like the exact numbers you put in, I think are very close to appropriate. Um, I might just say like, this is, well, one question I have that we need to talk about is, is this for leg up benefits specifically, or is this for the whole leg up ventures business? It's the whole leg up health business, um, which is a subsidiary of leg up ventures, okay. which would include leg up benefits. Okay. But like, not that obviously I would not want this to happen, but if, if leg up benefits totally flops, but JD goes and kills it on the individual insurance side, you would have PCI. I still get upside of that. Okay, cool. So yeah, I, um, yeah, I think these numbers look pretty good. Uh, I think $50,000 is a good, like price to put on the upfront investment I'm making. Um, well, I, I got to run, but oh, um, all, this, should I just slack you about this? Should we set up a time to talk? I think we should talk live about it just to like okay. uh, make it like easy. Um, yeah. But like, let's talk this weekend if you have time or whenever you're, you're available. Um, yeah, I'll reach and, out to uh, you. Cool. Well, I don't know if this was interesting to anyone that was like kind of intimate, um, but uh, <laughs> and a little bit like probably unclear. But if, if anyone's interested in this stuff, once we finalize it, I'm happy to um, make copies and anonymize some of this stuff and, and share the, the frameworks we've done if people are interested. Um, but if you'd like to review past topics and show notes, visit startblast.com. I'll see you next week, Tyler. All right. See ya.